You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Good evening, everyone. Let me start by saying again, a happy, happy new year to everyone. Happy new year. I haven't seen some of you since last year. Quite a long time. (laughs) Uh, But definitely glad that we can celebrate uh, New Year's together, similar to how last week, our Christmas Day fell on a day that we got together to get to get get together to worship. Uh, definitely grateful this, for this opportunity for the first time in plus plus life history to worship together on New Year's. And uh, you know, now with that said, technically this is also our end of the year service uh, that we usually have, even though we're already a couple hours into 2022. But I believe tonight's word from God is very much applicable regardless of what year it is and what season we find ourselves in. In fact, as we enter into the new year, I believe tonight's topic is the key to all of us living a, a fruitful, a flourishing, uh, a, a life that, uh, that is, is full regardless of what this new year might bring. And uh, whether new variants or new victories, tonight's topic is the key to conquering whatever God brings our way in 2022. So someone help me with tonight's topic and also the title of my sermon tonight, The Key to Contentment. The Key to Contentment. Contentment, that's, that's the biblical principle that will help us face whatever comes our way in this new year. Contentment is key. In fact, when, once we get this principle in our lives, 100% guaranteed that half our anxieties, our frustrations, our fears, and even our unhealthy lifestyles will be reduced. Contentment is key, and I mean, I mean, think about it, you know, I'm not saying everything is related to contentment, but I believe a great portion of the things that we deal with, all the trials in this life, is due to our lack of contentment. For example, why do we get anxious about tomorrow or become burnt out from attempting to secure our future? It's because oftentimes we are dissatisfied with today. That's a contentment issue. Single people, why do people worry about when they're going to get married? Or why do some people struggle with lust and sin? Because there's a lack of contentment in singleness, in in the relationships of today, in the season you're in today. And, And people are seeking for something that's not within that season. Same thing for married couples. Why do people commit adultery or become unfaithful to their spouse? Because they lack contentment in their partner in their spouse of today, in the, the wife of their youth, as the Bible says? Why do people go through surgical procedures just to change their appearance, their gender, their, their, their physical body? A lack of contentment over who God made them. Why is the world so lost in delusions and fantasies and virtual reality, the metaverse, right? Because they cannot cope with reality and and prefer fantasy and and a false sense of achievement in things. Again, a lack of contentment. Even in this pandemic, why has the the entire world been so fearful and in panic over this this pandemic these past few years? Because people have been afraid of having their life cut short, even Christians. Whatever happened to, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
The world is full of anxious people who are unsatisfied with what they have, where they are, and who they are. Humanity's lack of contentment is at the root of many of the world's issues and problems. In fact, it has been from the very start. If you recall in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, right, it wasn't enough that God gave Adam and Eve everything that they could have ever hoped for right? They got free food, a place to stay, the presence of God to walk with. It was paradise. Yet they gave it all up under the temptation of wanting and becoming something more. You will become like God. They were unsatisfied with the paradise that God gave them. That's a contentment issue. Church, if we want to see fruit and flourishing in this new year, if we want to be ready for whatever 2022 may bring, then contentment is key. So tonight, I want to unpack for you from God's Word how we can be content in the new year, regardless of what it may bring. And I believe there's no better teacher to teach us this key than the Apostle Paul himself, the, the, the same apostle that we just read about. Here was a guy who was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, yet he writes, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Here is a guy whose life could be taken away from him at any time, yet he writes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's contentment. How was the Apostle Paul able to face such trials and uncertainty with so much peace, so much joy? Well, he tells us the secret, right? In verse 11 of our passage, let's go back to that. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's a key. Ready for it? Here's a secret. Listen. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's it. That's the key. That's the secret of contentment. Verse 13. I can do all things through him, God, who strengthens me. Listen, if you want to be more content in the new year, this has to be your resolve. This has to be the lens in which you see the trials of life, whatever problem, whatever challenge, whatever change that you go through in this new year. Now, before we go running off with this verse and, then, and start doing crazy things like many Christians do with this verse, taking it out of context, right? People, people fighting bears out there and, and handling snakes because I can do all things. That's not what this verse means, by the way. You have to understand that this conclusion, this secret that, that Paul comes to, is built on other truths, other realities that reinforce this, this, this idea of contentment and this peace that he has, this security that he has, despite whatever trials he was facing. And I think that's what these sort of self-help preachers often miss about this verse. They get straight to the conclusion, the secret part, without explaining or even understanding why this conclusion is sound and why it's even true. And oftentimes what happens is that this verse even gets cut off to simply say, I, I can do all things, right? Maybe you've heard this before, right? I can do all, this, all things. And, and then people get this sense that it's in them, that the power is in them, that the ability is in them, when in reality, that's far from what Paul is talking about. Paul saw himself as a chief of sinners. He knew that he had nothing in himself that was good enough to face the trials. And so we can't take this verse out of context. This verse only has power when we see it in the context of what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And so that's what I want to do for us tonight. I want to unpack this verse in its context with the full weight of Paul's reasoning behind it, his resolve, so that we too can take this key to contentment into the new year. 
So for the first time in 2022, let's jump into our passage. Everyone say jump. Yeah. Amen. Where do we start? How does the, the Apostle Paul come to this secret, to this key to contentment? Well, just some context here. Again, Paul is in prison at this time as he's writing this letter. And, and, and he's writing to the church of Philippi and, and thanking them for providing for his needs in prison, right, at this point in his letter. In, in ancient times, prisoners weren't given basic necessities. They weren't given food or drink by the authorities. Friends and families had to bring them food and water. And so Paul is thanking this church for helping him, for sending help and resources, for sending relief to him while he was in prison. He says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul is acknowledging their desire to help him in prison, in prison though the opportunity to do so had now only been made available. Remember that statement because it's going to come back. From verse 11, Paul goes on to say, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Now this is interesting, kind of strange actually, because Paul is in prison and his basic necessities isn't being met like food and water. So it has to be brought to him from outside. It sure sounds like Paul is in need, right? Like, like he, he lacks, even, again, just the basics. Yet he says to the Philippian Christians, thanks for your, for your show of concern, but I'm good. I'm okay. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Paul, are you sure? Like, you know, has prison gotten to you, right? No food, no water stuck in prison. What do you mean you're, you're not in need, Paul? Well, Paul explains his reasoning. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content this is why Paul doesn't think he's in need. He's learned that regardless of what situation he finds himself in, whether good or bad, regardless of what he has, whether plenty or empty, he is content. He is to be content. The underlying resolve that Paul is demonstrating here with his statement is that he has confidence in the providence of God. Confidence in the providence of God. Paul has resolved that whatever his situation is, whether in prosperity or poverty, whether in prison or in paradise, it is all by God's providence, all in the sovereign will of God over his life. Even the fact that the Philippian church was only now able to help him, this too was part of God's providence, this sovereignty over his life. If God wanted to, he could have sent help sooner, right? Paul knew, though, that by God's will, it was only at this time that the Philippian church could help him and for, uh, for, you know, his purposes, God's purposes and his reasons too. See, this is the founding principle to verse 13 of our passage, to the key to contentment. The reason why Paul is willing to, to, to do or, or face all things, whatever that, that, whatever that comes his way, is because he knows whose will it is that he should face them. He knows whose will it is that he should face them, the trials, the imprisonment. He knows who's ultimately in control and who allows for such things to come to pass. It's the sovereign God. It's Paul's trust, his confidence in God's will that allows him to rejoice despite being in prison, despite not having food or water or the basic necessities of life. Because here's, here's the thought process, right? The truth that is fully acceptable. Listen, church, listen to this. The safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. The safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. Hear this truth. 
Because God is the ultimate good, you can trust that his will for your life is best. Even if if it means going through hardships, even if it means going through trials, or even imprisonment like the Apostle Paul, Paul was confident in the providence of God. And yes, what this means is that it won't always be rainbows and sunshines and blessings and prosperities in the new year. We're not promised only good things and good times in Scripture, but we are promised a good shepherd, a good God. Remember the, the, the famous psalm, right? Psalm 23. What does, what does the psalmist say? It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All good things, right? God is the good shepherd who's bringing us to places of restoration, places of revival and refreshment for his name's sake, meaning his will, his reputation, his glory. But look at what the psalmist says next in verse 4 of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a valley where, where death is present, where death is looming, that's not good. But who's leading that sheep there? Who's leading this sheep into this valley of the shadow of death? It's still that good shepherd. And because it's the good shepherd that's leading him through even the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist continues, he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David even goes on to say, he says, you prepare a a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So if you're following this picture of the sheep being led by a shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death, now he's being prepared a, a table, a meal with wolves, right? The natural enemy of the sheep. Then it says that the shepherd is pouring oil on top of this sheep. It's like someone's getting ready to make mutton rolls, right? And then the sheep's surrounded by wolves. He's getting basted with oil. It's, it's not all good for this sheep. But then what does David say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's confidence in the providence of God. That's trusting that even if we are brought to the worst place, even if we experience the worst possible situation in our life this coming year, we can still be content, we can still rejoice, we can still be satisfied knowing that it is God's good will for us. That in God's good hands, even the worst is best for us. Romans 8.28, we know this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It doesn't say that everything is good, right? But all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, remember this when you face whatever trial that comes in 2022. If you lose your job, if if you experience a sickness in your household, if you experience death even, remember that in God's good hands, even the worst situation is best for us. Again, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. And we may not understand it, but with the times that we don't understand God's mind, we can trust his heart. That he is good, that he is faithful, and that he does love us. And that his will and his purposes for us is best. So some practicality here as we go into the new year, right? So we can practice this. Listen, practice gratitude. 
Practice gratitude. Be thankful. Thank God for the good and the bad in your life. Not just the good times, right? I think it's easy to be, be thankful when things are good and, and things are, are full of blessings, but be thankful even when things are hard, when you're facing trials. Thank God for the good that he will turn out of the bad. And, he, and even if he doesn't, thank God that he is in control. So practice gratitude. Have confidence, trust, rely in the providence of God. Now Paul continues, he builds on this truth. Let's go back to our main passage in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is speaking of personal experience here. He knows he's experienced times of being humbled by God and times of uplifting by God. He's experienced times of poverty and times of prosperity. By God's grace, he's experienced it all, and it reassures him, it comforts him while he's in prison. Notice that what Paul isn't saying. He isn't saying, man, I remember the good times, right? I remember the times of plenty when I wasn't in prison. I remember all the blessings and prosperity, things I was, the great things I was doing for God. No, Paul isn't just dwelling on the good times. He's also recalling the bad times, but his focus isn't on whether the times were good or bad. His focus is simply on the fact that in all those times, whether good or bad, that God provided in them for him. And it's that, that's where his contentment is based on. Here's the second layer of Paul's reasoning for contentment. Paul took comfort in God's provision. Paul took comfort in the provision of God. Just as God had brought him to that place of hardship, place of well, in prison, he knew that God could take him out, provide a way out. But even if God didn't, he knew that God would at least provide for his every need, even in that place of hardship, in that place of trial. So that, he, so that even in the little that he had, he rejoiced and thanked God. We even see Paul impart the same sentiment to the Philippian church later on in our passage. He says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I have received full payment, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't living lavishly while he was in prison, right? I, I don't think the Philippian church was pouring out gold and riches on Paul while he was there. But the little that he did receive, look, what he, look how he viewed it, how, what he says about it. Full payment and more, well supplied, he even says that whatever the Philippian church had given was a, a, a fragrant offering, a, an acceptable and uh, pleasing offering to God, worthy of praise. The little was much to Paul because he knew that even the little was undeserved. All part of God's grace, unmerited favor over his life. And Paul says that in the next verse. He says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God's provision in our lives stems from his grace, his riches of glory. God doesn't need to give us these things, right? God doesn't need to give Paul anything while he's in prison. But because God is good, because he is faithful, he does so in Christ Jesus. See, church, having this reality in mind, this perspective in mind, 
helps us be content, helps us be satisfied with even the little that we have. Because again, even the little is undeserved, it's unmerited. This is a sign of growth and maturity in the believer, by the way. Listen, little is much to the believer who has realized that even the little is plenty from the riches of God's grace. Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, uh, 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Just the very, the very basic necessities. Again, a, a good sign of spiritual maturity is someone who can see little as much because even the little is plenty from the riches of God's grace. This is biblical contentment, by the way. Sometimes there's a stigma to contentment. I'm sure you may be already thinking about this when we hear the word. And I think it's because the world has defined contentment with complacency or apathy or a lack of ambition, Right? But listen, contentment is not apathy nor a lack of ambition, but rather security in God's provision. It's being satisfied, taking comfort in what God has provided. Again, knowing that what God has provided is undeserved and unmerited. And listen, church, don't don't get it wrong, right? Biblical contentment doesn't mean that you're, you're unaffected by the world's problems or that, or, or, or that you don't care if you're impoverished or that you're hungry. Contentment doesn't mean that you're, you, you don't get a job and, and have an income to support yourself. Even your job is a provision by, by, God, uh, by which God's grace is administered, by which he, he provides for your needs. So there is a sense in which we take responsibility where, where we do make the effort, but whatever God has provided for us, we rejoice in his grace. As mentioned this year, right? Practice gratitude. Take, take the next step with that even. Uh, write it down. Uh, for, for the next year or so, write down every little thing that God has blessed you with. The good and the bad that God has blessed you. The, the, the plenty or the empty that God has blessed you with. Journal about it. Even the little things. So that at the end of 2022, as we enter into 2023, God willing, if he hasn't come yet, right? You can look back at the many ways that God has been faithful in your life this year. Thank God. See his faithfulness. So these two things, confidence in God's providence, comfort in God's provision, these are the two bases, the, two, uh, the, the basis for the, for the key, the secret to verse 13 of our passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because Paul is confident in the providence of God and because he takes comfort in the provision of God, whether little or much, he can then confide in the power of God. Confide in the power of God. It's pretty simple. Like, why would you confide in God or rely on God if you do not think that he is in control? If you do not think that he is faithful to provide? Paul has concluded that because it's God who leads him, God who provides for him, it will also be God who strengthens him to endure whatever hardship, whatever trial he goes through. It's all by God's strength, all by God's power that we can accomplish or even endure whatever comes to our way in the new year. And Paul says all things, right? Not just times of trials, but also times of triumph. 
even the times of victory in the new year, even in those good situations, we will need God's strength. We will need God's strength to, to keep us humble, God's strength to help us steward the blessings that he's given us. It's God's strength to, to keep us from getting prideful and thinking that it's only on our ability that we've accomplished things. It's only by God's providence and his, and his provision that we have anything, right? As we said, remember, don't get this verse twisted. The strength isn't in you. The ability isn't in you. It's God who works through you. In the same letter, Paul writes, For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. It's not us. It's not by our strength. Or how about this? Another very popular verse that is often taken out of context, right? Turn to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says in 1 Corinthians No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. The original Greek here for temptation is interchangeable with trial. So you can also read it as no trial has overtaken you that isn't common to man. It means a testing. Paul says, God is faithful and he he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape and that you may be able to endure it. Now, Many take this verse to say, see, I can do it. It's within my ability. It's within my power, my control. These trials that God gives me, these temptations that are in my life are not beyond my strength, are not beyond my capabilities. I can do it. But listen, and this is very important, right? The full counsel of Scripture is crucial here. Nowhere in the Bible does our ability ever refer to an autonomous, self-willed, self-sustaining, self-empowerment that excludes God out of the picture. Nowhere. You will not find that ever in Scripture. Everywhere else in Scripture refers to God's strength working in us. God being the one to justify us, to bring His work in us to completion. It's God who is transforming, bringing us from one state of glory to another. It's God who begins a good work in us and will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's not by my might, nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit of God. Again, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And as our passage says, I can do All things through him who strengthens me. All of that to say, nowhere in the Bible does our ability ever refer to our autonomous, self-willed efforts. It's always connected to God. So going back to that 1 Corinthians passage, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Your ability as provided by his Holy Spirit, by his strength, by him working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And because it's by his strength, listen, that, that, that means what you can endure is by his strength. That the, that the boundaries of what you can endure is, is only limited to God's limitless nature, his limitless strength. That's why Paul proclaims right in our passage, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because the limitless God works in you, your work is not limited to you, to your strength, to your ability the limits of how much trials you can endure in this life, how much, you, how much hardships you can take in this life is not limited to yourself, to your ability. It's only limited to how much, uh, how much God wills for your life. 
Because it is the sovereign, faithful God who works in and for you, you can trust that he will be the one to get you through whatever comes in the new year. Even, even the worst of situations, as we mentioned. Even if you experience, you know, God forbid, unless if it's his will, death in your life this year. It's only by God's strength can we endure, can we persevere. Church, in this new year, confide in the power of God. Listen, if there's anything that I learned in this past year, 2021, with having to take care of two new kids or two toddler babies or whatever, two little monsters, right? And then full-time ministry and then having to juggle life at home as well. It's that I need God's strength. That without God's strength, I, could, I would not last. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what the Bible says about your ability. Apart from God, you can do nothing. It's only by God's strength. So listen, practice this this new year, right? Relinquish to God. Surrender to God. In whatever endeavor that you embark on this new year, whatever trial that comes your way, right? Throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. Regardless of how little the situation is, regardless of how big the problem, how big the problem is, surrender to God. Cry out desperately for His help, for His strength to endure. That's the, the that's the key. That's the, the secret to contentment. It's being unsatisfied with your own strength, your own ability, and longing for the strength and the ability that only God can provide. His strength. That's how we become content in this new year. So here it is again. What's the key to contentment? Confidence in the providence of God. Comfort in the provision of God. Finally, confide in the power of God. A verse that I've been holding on to is that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. That's what God gives us as believers as we step into this new year. That is what is afforded to us by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we enter into this time of communion, we have to understand and remember that contentment is only available to us when we are found in Christ, our Prince of Peace. The one who, who provides us peace despite whatever storm, whatever trial of life that we endure. Isaiah 53, the great passage referring to the suffering servant, the trials of Christ himself, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We only have this because of Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.